Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today's sermon, The Gospel, presented by Mr. Kevin McGonigal. I welcome all of you, and I am so thankful that we are here together today in the Lord's house. And I would ask that you would pray with me, if you would please bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, please give us open hearts and minds to hear your words today. Let us search our innermost selves through the power of your Holy Spirit and examine to ensure we know the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are in proper relationship with Christ, and that we know how we ought to participate in the Great Commission. Father, we pray for healing for Pastor Monty and ask that you bring him back to us fully restored and to health quickly. We pray for our entire church family and any needs that have been shared. Father, we lift to you the conflict in Israel and ask for your divine guidance for the people of that region. Lord, we ask that our nation turn back to you, that our national, state, and local leaders would submit to your headship and your authority. Father, we ask that you bless our time together, that it may further your kingdom, and I ask that you give me direction as this lesson is shared. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. I've titled this The Gospel an exploration. I don't know exactly how much it's actually an exploration, but it is something that the Lord laid on my heart. And I am hoping that I get through this whole sermon today. This morning, I will be speaking to you all about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We will explore this in a way with which you may not be fully accustomed. Our outline looks like this. First, we'll discuss what the gospel is not. And I think that's important for us today. Second, we will discuss what the gospel represents. Third, we'll discuss what obedience to the gospel looks like. And we'll be examining some works of Paul. And lastly, we will discuss what the gospel is. Now that we have our outline in place, let's take a look at what the gospel is not. The gospel is not platitudes. A platitude is defined as a remark or statement especially one with a moral content that has been used too often to be interesting or thoughtful. Things like love is love. The heart wants what the heart wants. By the way, that's a dangerous one because we all know that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Thoughts and prayers. That's another platitude. We don't often think about that as believers because... Oftentimes, we really mean that our thoughts and prayers are with people, but you notice that people, believers or non-believers, they use that phrase quite a bit. This is one that we do see often in our culture today, love will find a way. Those are platitudes. The gospel is not platitudes. The gospel is not a bumper sticker. You know, things like God spoke and bang, it happened, or Jesus is my co-pilot. If Jesus is the co-pilot in your life, there may be a problem. He should be the pilot. Gospel is not politics. Political parties do not dictate salvation. The hope of the nation is not in men and women at the national, state, or local level. And it's not in the elected officials in our nation. The hope of salvation, the hope of this nation is in Jesus Christ alone. The gospel is not positive confession. You cannot speak good things into your life. Because you're not the creator. We don't create. We don't have control over the universe. We have a sovereign God that controls that. We have control over our actions and our attitudes. But even positive thinking does not save the depraved man. 
The law of attraction is another thing that oftentimes is associated with positive confession. And the law of attraction actually is mysticism. If you say good things, good things come to you. If you do good things, good things come to you. That's mysticism. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not little God's theology. We are not little gods with the same spiritual DNA as Jesus Christ. Adopted, yes. Heirs in the kingdom, yes. But we are not deity. We are a creation. The gospel is not name and claim. The creation does not tell the creator what the creator is going to do. We don't dictate things. This one may shock you. The gospel is not unconditional. Many think that the gospel is unconditional love because God is love. It is a fact that God is love. God is also righteous and just. There's a difference between God's salvation, saving love, and his benevolence to all mankind. See, his benevolence is reflected in the fact that he gives us seasons. He gives us rain and he gives us sunshine. He gives us great pastures to put cattle and stock on and he gives us food. We might define those things as common grace and special grace. There's a common grace that God has for all of humanity and there's a special grace that is reserved for his people. That special grace, common grace, are outlined and they're, they're detailed actually very well by Paul in Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 through 26. Now, in this particular passage, Paul is telling us about the fruits of the Spirit. That's what it's most well known for. But the verses prior to fruit of the Spirit draw a distinct line between the worldly and the godly. And there's a difference between the world or the flesh and a fruitful spirit. It begins in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing these things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and things like these. We see those in our society today very, very often. Oftentimes we see those same things within the body that says, well, God is love. It's unconditional love. But that's not how Paul finishes. Look at how Paul finishes the paragraph. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a conditional statement. Unconditional love, the love that God has for us, it, it's not based on our economics. That's true. It's not based on our heritage. It's not based on who we are or what we've done for him. That is true. It's not conditional in that way. But it is conditional on the fact that we need to be obedient. We're going to talk about that later on. Paul follows that up with this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I always love reading that because the fact is, is that I don't just need Jesus once to be saved. I need Jesus to save me every single day. There are things that are being crucified in the flesh every day. 
And it's easy for us to become conceited or arrogant towards one another if we don't remember who we are. Now, I sincerely hope that you have a clear understanding of what the gospel is not, because I hope I gave you a good contrast of that. Now, let's take a look. Let's endeavor to grasp what the gospel represents. Well, ultimately, the gospel represents the love, mercy, and grace of our Heavenly Father. But really, the gospel is the power of God to save. If you will turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved is the power of God. You know, as you are living out your saved life, your Christ-like life, I think sometimes we forget that salvation looks weird to people who don't know Christ as Savior. And we have to remember that. That is an important aspect of our Christian life to remember that the cross is folly to those because most people don't want to love their enemy and they don't want to pray for their enemy. And if their enemy takes their cloak from them, they don't necessarily want to give them their shirt too. That's not how in the human mind how we necessarily want to respond. But that is the power of the cross. The gospel also represents a statement that Paul makes in Romans chapter 1. If you'll turn over there, Romans chapter 1. I know we all know where Romans is because we just spent the last how many years? Five years going through Romans. You'll turn over to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, we need to be careful because we have a lot of people that say they're in the body. They say, well, I believe in God. We need to be careful because it's belief, it's trust, and it's a saving relationship. And we'll talk about that some more as we get to the end of my sermon. But we know that even Satan and the demons, they know that Christ is who Christ says he is. So we have to be very aware about how we define believe, everyone who believes. Again, the gospel represents... The finished work of Christ. So we're talking about what the gospel represents. It's the finished work of Christ. In Galatians chapter 2, if you would turn back to Galatians for me, I think this is really important. We need to make sure that we remember that salvation is a work of Christ, work of Christ alone. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21, Paul gives us an example of The finished work of Christ. He's speaking to the Jewish converts to ensure that they understand that concept. That it is Christ alone. He says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That's a bold statement. By works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, 
In our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now, that's a tricky passage in this respect. Is that it's asking, if I'm a sinner, can I blame Christ for my sin? If I'm a sinner, is Christ a sinner? And no, he's not. He's a deliverer. And that's really where Paul is going. And then Paul finishes up this section this way. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul's following up the fact that it's Christ alone. It's not the law. We need to remember that there is an example for us also earlier in the New Testament. When Christ is on the cross, the thief on the cross, he has no knowledge of Jesus Christ. He has no good intention. Yet, when he says, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. So he was saved. And who was he saved by? Was he saved by a work? Was he saved by, by anything other than Christ alone? He absolutely was saved by Christ alone. And we need to remember that. That we don't save ourselves. The gospel also represents transformed lives. So we have our Christ-like life. We're living our life. It should be a transformed life. Colossians chapter 3. That's just over a couple of pages. Colossians chapter 3. Verses 1 through 17. It's telling us right here that we are to put on a new self. We are to really reflect what the gospel represents. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you will appear with him in glory. Now, I hope that you see the assurance of our salvation in that statement. And I hope that you see the the assurance of our eternity in that statement, that first part. We pick up at verse 5. It says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So again... We're we're to put on a new self. We're to put to death those things. You know, I am so thankful that God gives us a life of sanctification. Because I don't know, well, I do know. There's no way I would bear up under the full force of my sin if God revealed it all to me all at one time. There's just no way I would be able to do that. So we are able to put these things to death in our flesh through the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. So that we live truly transformed lives. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. This is where Paul's explaining that we lived in those things. But now you must put them all away. That all that anger, all the wrath, all the malice, all the slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. 
Isn't that a blessed statement? That we put on the new self and that we're being renewed all of the time in the image of our Creator. We get new knowledge. And it's not a word of knowledge from that's new prophecy or anything like that. It's just new knowledge. All of us are at different places in our lives. We have different challenges that we're facing in our lives. And God gives us different graces to overcome those challenges in our lives. That's new knowledge. That is what we are able to do. And we are able to share that in a way in which people see the love of Jesus Christ. And it sparks in them an interest. I hope it sparks in them an interest to maybe ask a question. Why are you so different? Lord, help us never to take credit for being different. Instead, let us give the credit wholly and and totally to Christ alone. Here there is not Greek and Jew. In the Jewish world, there were only two categories of people. You were either Jewish or you were a Gentile. This is Paul. There's not Greek or Jew. Circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Meaning that Christ truly has people in every tongue, tribe, and nation. That is something that oftentimes I don't remember as much as I should. This is why we need missionaries. This is why we should be on mission where we live. That there are people who are lost and dying in a world that is looking to devour them. And believe it or not, folks, we have the answer. We have the answer. That answer is Jesus Christ. I'm going to finish up real quick for Colossians chapter 3. It says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. But that's a tall order. Forgiving others in our congregation, forgiving others that are in the body of Christ before they ever even ask for it. I don't know how we do that other than through the supernatural grace of Jesus Christ. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. See, we can have unity within the body of Christ, but that unity has to be based upon the gospel. Not what the gospel is not, but on the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, doesn't matter your profession or your vocation. It doesn't matter the job that you have. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, there's an added thing for us to consider in this statement. If we are to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, that means that we are to live in such a way that when we stumble and fall, We have to be ready to let the world know, don't blame God for my failure. You don't blame Jesus for my failure. You don't blame Jesus for me falling and stumbling. You blame the sinful man that hasn't been put to death yet. Because Christ loves us enough that he works us through that. That he grows us through that. And he grows us through that through sanctification. And as the Christian develops this deeper understanding 
of what the gospel represents, it's not a surprise that that same Christian should and must ask themselves, what does actual obedience to the gospel look like? Well, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul gives us a picture of what obedience to the gospel is to look like. Now, I'm actually going to be going Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be going to Job 13. And I'm going to finish up this section with Philippians chapter 4. But I want us to remember that Paul penned Philippians when he was yet again arrested. So this is what obedience to the gospel looks like. Paul begins in verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in, in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So these folks, they supported Paul. And Paul's telling them how thankful he is for them. And he's also telling them that their continued support, their continued enthusiasm for the gospel is a signal to him that they really are pursuing Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In verse 12, Paul states, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So here's Paul. He's in chains. He's imprisoned. And yet it has served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That is obedience to the gospel of Christ. He's in chains, he's in prison, and he is standing ground for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is not going to be silenced just because of the imperial guard or just because of the imprisonment. And as a matter of fact, his dedication and courage grounded in the gospel is an encouragement and gives confidence to other brothers that are present with him so that they speak the word without fear. In verse 15, it states, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. That is reminiscent of what happened with Joseph. Joseph tells his brothers, what you intended for evil, God turned to good. This is the same sentiment that Paul is conveying 
There's people that are out there saying the gospel of Christ, and yet, look, Paul's in prison. They may be sneering at me, but I don't care. If the gospel of Jesus Christ is going forward, if Christ is proclaimed, I'm going to rejoice in that. And it says, to live as Christ is the next paragraph. It says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress in joining the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, Paul just said that if he stays present with those saints, it's Christ. It's the gospel going forward. It's the furtherance of the kingdom. If he dies, it's gain because he is present with the Lord. Another example would be in Job 13, verse 15. This is Job. He's being tested. It says, though he slay me, I will hope in him, yet I will argue my ways to his face. This will be my salvation, that the godless shall not come before him. So Job, even though he is being tried the way that he is, he's saying, this trial may kill me, but I'm going to trust God over my own eyes, over my own desire. And then finally, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. This is an example. This is us. This is believers being grounded in the faith. This is believers being obedient to the gospel. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So it is Paul telling us, That we have peace that passes all understanding. We are strangers to people that do not know Christ because we don't act the same. We don't look the same because we have joy that they don't quite understand. That is being obedient to the gospel. It is our ability to take all of those things that are lovely and commendable, all of those things that are excellent. And we give all glory for those things to Christ. We don't take personal credit for those things. All of those things are for us to give back to Christ as he has given them to us, as he has made provision for us. And, you know, in that reflective of what eternity is going to be like anyway, all of those blessings, all of those crowns, where do they all end up? They all end up at the feet of Christ. They all end up at the feet of Christ. So we have... The ability. We know what the gospel is not. We know what the gospel represents. We know how to be obedient to the gospel. Now let's talk about, finally, 
what the gospel is. Sometimes we use an abbreviated explanation. An abbreviated explanation of the gospel like creation, fall, redemption. We use that. But there needs to be a further definition of that as we are sharing the gospel with others. As we talk about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, we have to be able to define creation, fall, and redemption. Creation really starts off in the garden. God made a perfect world. Man was created in his image in the garden and had a perfect free will. But the fall came. Man sinned. Man sinned against God. He brought death into the world. And man sinned. Made man at enmity with God. Man's perfect free will was now sinful and in bondage to sin. From the fall forward. God in his great mercy gave us redemption. And how did he do that? Well, he sent his only begotten son. He sent Jesus to redeem, purchase, and atone for our sins. That's right. He took our place. He took our place. We can have everlasting life by placing our trust in Christ's finished work on the cross. Not our finished work. Christ's finished work on the cross. And this is where in Colossians chapter 2 verses 6 through 15. It tells us about being alive in Christ. Salvation and faith is active. It is not static and it is not stagnant. It is active. We need to be alive in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he, God, set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. God himself saved us. He redeemed us. He purchased us. And he himself nailed our trespasses to the cross. Christ bore our sin. And this is why the gospel is important. It has been commanded that we as Christians take the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation. That is the Great Commission. This is why the gospel is important. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day so that we never forget that we are sinners in need of a Savior. This is why the gospel is important. The gospel compels us as believers to live the life that God intends us to live. This is why the gospel is important. The gospel makes me and makes you tender to the needs of a lost and dying world. So, let us all take time on this Lord's Day to remember who we once were, who it was that delivered us from our iniquity, 
and what it is Christ would have us do to further the kingdom. If you would, join me in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. Father, I pray that this short time that we had helps us embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ the way that we should. Father, that we would have a ready answer on our lips for those that see Jesus Christ in us every day. Father, that we would be ready to share the gospel with the lost and dying world for the furtherance of your kingdom. And Father, we just ask, Lord, that you forgive us where we fail. Help us, Father, to serve you the way that you have called us to serve. Father, we pray for Monty and Kathy, and we ask, Lord, that you let them return to us soon. Father, we just ask, Lord, that you would be with each of us as we leave this place. Father, that you would give us a good week. And Father, that we would truly be gospel-minded. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.